recorded live from the WAYOFM.org studios in the fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York. Welcome to Transformation Thursday. I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her as well. In this podcast, we take an objective look at dramatic change, and as two transgender women, we know a thing or two about that. And we'll be talking about transgender issues on this show in a way that we think will be both informative and entertaining. But we'll also be looking at the amazing number of radical changes we're experiencing in our society as well. And this week is one of those weeks that we're going to be doing that. In fact, we're devoting our entire show to the news, to the way it's gathered, the way it's processed, and the way it's consumed. They've all changed dramatically in the past two decades. And we'll be doing that with Evan Dawson and Megan Mack, the host and producer respectively of WXXI's Connections with Evan Dawson. But for now, let's continue with the time-honored tradition of the music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loonie, and a few British tenors from when I was in London because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love we do have expenses and by going to transformationthursday.com they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today plus get exclusive patrons only content um if i say yes can we get on to our next segment oh god i hope so Okay then, transformationthursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure, I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. Our guests today are the host and producer of Connections with Evan Dawson, Evan Dawson and Megan Mack. But first, the news. but I found this really cool news thing and I just wanted to use it. So Evan and Megan, hi, how are you? Good. Hello, it's nice to be great. here. Thank yeah. You. Well, thank you for taking out time from your very busy schedules to, to come and talk about news. It's kind of like a busman's holiday or a bus person's holiday. A person of buses? Anyhow, we're trying to, we'll, like we'll, fig, we'll, we'll figure this out. So I wanted to bring you guys on, first off, because you're wonderful people and you've had us on your show more than one time. It's actually where Amy and I met, was waiting to do a segment one time. Uh, so you kind of are responsible for the mess you're in now. Yeah. <laughs> That's our fault. We're here. Yeah, we've made this mess. <laughs> you have. And now Congratulations. You gotta, now you got to clean up after yourselves. We're going to do that by talking about news. Just about everything about news has changed. Crewing, editing disseminating, consuming. Uh, let me just throw this out as a softball question. In your experience, both of your experience, um, what has changed the most and what remains the same? No, you can, you can go ahead. <laughs> your name's on the show. Your name's on Connection. Yes, but 
Well, and I do all the actual. You do work. all the work. You do all the work. Yeah. Well, let, let, let me let me back it up a little bit farther than that. Let's let's actually do a little. Can you guys quick give me a quick bio of each yeah. of you guys as relation related to news? Sure. Um, so I, let's see here. Uh, I have been in the news business since two thousand one. I worked as a reporter in Charleston and Huntington, West Virginia, and then moved to Rochester in 2003. I was a news reporter and anchor for WHAM-TV. Back in those days, it was W WOKR, right? Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. WOKR. Yeah, Channel 13 out in Western wow. Road. Woo! And, um, and then in 2014, uh, moved to public radio, uh, WXXI, and have been hosting Connections since then. Well, I'm much younger, so I started much later. <laughs> well, I started off in entertainment television with NBC, NBC doing some internships with Conan O'Brien. Fun stories to share there. NBC Olympics. <laughs> but we're here to talk about news, not entertainment. And so then I came back to Rochester. I worked at WHEC TV Channel 10 for a number of years and then was very fortunate to find the job at XXI. And I've been there since 2015. Okay, so uh, Evan, you especially kind of came in at uh, well a little bit of backstory about me. So because everything is about me, except <laughs> no, it's about me. me. Oh, God. All right. So in 1993, because I'm older than everybody here combined, I, I was the least not combined. Not com yeah, no. <laughs> okay. Well, in 1993, I was the least important part of a team that took a nightly half-hour newscast and turned it into a 24-hour news wheel. I was one of the first producers of our what is now what was our news that became Time Warner Cable. All those different things. The very first. Well, the very first 24-hour local news channel was New York One in New York City, which was a Time Warner uh, affiliate, which was a Time Warner industry uh, concern. Uh, and it, basically, they just backed up a Brinks truck to, to the, them and said, get this on the air. And then they turned to Rochester and said, get this on the air and make it profitable, which means, of course, that make it cheap which is why they hired me. Um, so, but, so uh, you know, I, I, when I started out, we were shooting on tape. Uh, we oh, yeah. Oftentimes we would go out with a photographer and a reporter and occasionally for the larger stories, a producer. Uh, and then there would be a, you know, you'd, you'd want to get like a, if, if, if it was a later breaking news, you'd want to have like a, a Vosat for the six and then a package for the 11. Or if, you're, if it was earlier, you get the pack of the 11, the Vosat for the six. Yeah, this deadline driven thing. But now we have this continuing feed of news and not just on television and not just on radio, but yeah. all over the place on the Internet, everywhere. Um, what's been gained from that and, and what has been lost from from that? Can I start? Yeah. But, but I, mean, I, I don't want to steal the microphone, but I uh, having worked for a number of different commercial television news uh, directors and consultants, especially because it's really remarkable how consultants kind of drive the industry. In fact, I've my favorite consultant story I'll share with you in a moment, uh, but I'll get I'll get back to that. But I also worked in uh, commercial television news, and there was a time when, for the eleven o'clock newscast, the mandate from the consultant and the mandate for all of us was, you know, we had to have thirty stories in the eleven o'clock news. Thirty stories. How much news is in a half hour of news? Well, if it starts at 11 sharp, the A block, the first block of news might be over by 11.08 or 9, and then there's two to three minutes of ads, and then there's this weather cast that's several minutes, and then there's a couple more minutes of ads, and then there's a sports cast, and then more ads, 
and then maybe a little bit more news. I don't know, 10 minutes out of 30? Yeah. 30 stories in 10 minutes? What consultants were saying was that the modern consumer doesn't have attention span anymore. What? No. <laughs> hey. She's already gone. Yeah. I remember, I resemble that <laughs> remark. And that was the idea that people can't hang in there beyond 30 to 40 seconds. They want simple. They want fast. They want quick hitting. They want on to the next. And so this is where I actually think it's really interesting to kind of talk on a podcast like this transformation Thursday, because so much of what both of you are working on is, is telling the stories of how transformation is happening um, in, in a lot of different settings in our society. And the idea that news had been transformed was like this fixed idea a decade ago, that, or maybe even five, 10 years ago, that people didn't have tr uh, attention spans. And now, having gone to public radio for more than five years, I can say that I think the consultants were wrong. I think that that was, we, were, we moved into this era where that's what a lot of people thought that they wanted. But then I think and I'm really generalizing, which is a dangerous thing. But I think people realized that that was mostly just making us dumber. That, oh, you've got, you've got to distill a story into 30 seconds. Uh, how can you understand something, even if there's any complexity, in 30 seconds? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's not a house fire. And now what we find with the talk show is people do want depth of conversation. They want interaction. They want thoughtful voices. They want differences of opinion and they want a chance to consider it. And I'm really gratified by that because the transformation that the consultant said was happening, I don't think has happened. I think, but that's probably the public radio me like showing my mm -hmm. bias, right? Don't yeah. I was just going to, I was just going to say that. I think now is that, Public radio is attracting a different type of audience than I think a commercial radio station would be with a talk format as well. So can, yeah. maybe we can talk some about the differences there with the audiences and how those have changed over the years. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's fair. Um, and I think it's also fair to kind of, again, linger on this point that I really am showing a bit of a bias here. But I do think, to to Amy's point, on commercial radio, you have a lot more single opinion, uh, you know, so technically we're a talk show. And when I told family I was going to do a talk show, they have this idea of, of what is largely conservative, but not always talk radio. And kind of a Bob Lonsbury-ish. Or, or, or yeah, or one person sort of s sitting up on top of the mountaintop and, and sharing opinions down at the world, mm -hmm. as opposed to what Megan and I do, um, Megan and Rob and everybody else who's involved in the show. And, so I do think that there is that commercial side that is different, that the newscasts are still, I mean, you, you still have those consultant driven, quick hitting newscasts, short newscasts, house fire, stabbing, shooting, be scared of the city. It's a dangerous place kind of thing without context. And that does exist. And that's very popular. So that, that's not like that's gone away. I'm just, I'm kind of positing here under the theme of Transformation Thursday, that, that what the consultants thought was transforming 10 years ago was not a healthy transformation. And there's been some resistance to it. And there's been some evidence that people actually do need depth. And I think there's a danger to allowing that other transformation to take place, if that's fair. Now, I don't Now I've been talking a lot here. Tell me where okay. I'm wrong. No, Penny, you wanted to jump in. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go, go. I was going to, I was going to jump in and say, Megan, I'd love to have your viewpoint on this. Yeah. So uh, as, as the producer, as the person the, who, the brains, the, the brains, yeah. The, the person who actually, you know, as, as a producer 
comes up with and secures and formats, uh, I'm guessing, uh, a lot of, of what we hear coming out of Evan's mouth. Um, <laughs> we, we do a lot of that together. We do a lot I of know. booking and research. But yes, I'm dictating every word through his ear, through an IFB. In I show. say it out so. here, and it, I say it here, and it comes out there. The <laughs> broadcast, broadcast news, news. absolutely, oh, I absolutely. That. I love that. But it, it's true. I, I agree with all the points Evan made. I also think that the way that we're putting news together is very different, and that has transformed. If you looked at a commercial newsroom, I don't know, 10 years ago when I was there, we had a photo going out with a reporter, like you said, Penny. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, if they were very lucky, a producer. Now there's multimedia journalists. They have to go out, shoot their own stories, cover everything themselves, come back, edit, put it all together, produce it themselves, get it on the air, and get it and, on the and get it on the on on the on and in, online online too. Yep, yeah, write their web stories, produce produce their digital packages. So it's all probably to save money. You know, yeah. simplified into one person, which I think is unfair and not very productive because then you have less time to focus on context, like Evan said. But also it gives people in the community more of an opportunity to be a journalist, which I think is good and bad, depending on, you know, the viewpoints and how informed people are. Yeah, well, that brings up uh, something that was something that happened with me when I was uh, producing the news uh, back in the 90s and that... I, surprised me. Um, one of the reasons, I think the one we, when we met, it was be one of the things, the stories we were talking about was the political cartoon that was published in the Rochester Business Journal. Oh, yes. And, yes. and the letter that I wrote them. And uh, in my letter, I, I, I wrote, you know, not only did somebody look at this and say, okay, but the person who vetted this decision also said, okay. And I got written back and said, well, we don't vet. Uh, is it, you know, the, 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 because the skeleton staff, you know, the, mm -hmm. do do more with less, you know, that yeah. just in time stuff. And everybody, you know, if you are if you are in charge of, you know, writing, producing, voicing, editing, uh, getting it ready for on the air, getting it ready for Facebook and Twitter, writing social media, all those different things you have to do. Who has time in their in their in their in their day to look over all this stuff and, and check it for accuracy and fairness and. Uh, all the things that you would think you would hope that a, a gatekeeper function like that, like a newsroom would have, like who watches the watchman? I think that is one of the dangers of the speed that we're seeing in terms of social media and the demand for content and information quickly. And, uh, and to be first, everyone wants to be first. Everyone, yeah. And, and, and now to sort of, to, to Penny's point, at least in the past, there was like this idea that you're collecting news, but just the very nature of the fact that it wasn't going to be on the air until six o'clock or 11 o'clock at night, mm -hmm. you'd have time to kind of talk about it. Now it's like you're in a courtroom and did I hear that correctly? I'm not really sure, but I'm going to tweet that, you know, and it's, yeah. like, <laughs> it's out there instantly. Right. So um, that is a challenge. And I think that we have been chastened enough, enough times to know better sometimes, but every few months or so something will happen and I'll go, boy, we really haven't learned our lesson very well here. And, you know, there's still too much focus on the glitz and, and less on the substance. I, I want to do a couple of things to, to kind of protect myself a little bit here. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, um, I, I want to say that uh, some of my friends and colleagues in commercial television news sometimes maybe misinterpret my tone or what I'm saying about it because they think, oh, you're just trashing what you used to do because you don't do it anymore. And, um, and, and that's not really the case. Uh, I have a lot of love and respect for 
commercial television news. And there's people in Rochester who are doing a phenomenal job at that. Absolutely. And I could name a lot of different names. And I won't name a single name. I will just tell you that I've, I've got tons of love and respect for my colleagues and the work they're doing. And so many of the lessons that I've observing that I think were wrong from the consultants, I think they are learning and they're doing a really good job of finding ways to produce depth and to do it a lot differently than at least I did. And I think I was complicit in a lot of the mistakes that the industry had for a long time. Yeah, that's yeah. just yeah, as a quick aside, I, I agree with that. The people who are actually tasked with doing the job are doing yeoman's work. I don't, I don't blame any of them of anything other than the fact that they don't really have the time and the materials. And, to Megan's and, point. Yeah, to, exactly. To actually do the work that they would love to do. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And then the other thing is, before I forget it, I will share my favorite consultant story. Cool. Did you ever have to deal with consultants? Mm, not as much not as, as reporters. Because, because the consultants came in and they were more about, what are you wearing? What do you what, what's like? your presentation? How do you talk? Can you sound whiter? Nobody actually said that, but they kind of meant it. Um, Can you look prettier? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's what it's about. Uh, we had entire seminars on how to write slick teases. Not like, is the content good? It's, can you make someone watch it even if it's crap? So... <laughs> Um, so the consultant story is, uh, Oh, ours were called promises a long time ago. Right. A promise. The word tease became a promise. Oh, promise oh to gosh. deliver. I promise we'll come back with said traffic report. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. Uh, promise. I like that. Uh, but, um, so there was a one year consultants came in from Texas and they took some of the on-air staff out to do wardrobe work. And the woman who was doing it, the female consultant w said to one of our female reporters, she's like, honey, you can't wear that. I don't know where you got that. And the reporter looked at her and said, you picked it out for me a year ago. The last, <laughs> the last time you were here. The last time you were here. Absolutely. I'm I, wearing it because this is what you told me to wear. Wow. But consultants often feel like they have to tell you something different every year to justify coming back and getting a new paycheck. Exactly. So, That's uh, exactly right. Somewhere some consultant will set me straight, but I haven't had a good experience and I don't like the idea at all of consultants who spend lots of time on seminars on how to look nice and how to deliver slick promises or teases as opposed to just, hey, how do we do investigative work? How do we do real reporting? How do we do thoughtful journalism? So, yeah, well, that, was, that was the basic... Behind, basis behind broadcast news, which we talked about, there was a rise yes. of banality. Yes. You know, like, you know, Tom Grunick, uh, William Hurt's character, he was handsome, he was charismatic, and he was just dim. Now, here, let, me, let me ask you this, because since we're talking about broadcast news, and you've seen it, the, the, the crying scene, the, 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 oh. the, the, the camera turnaround, uh, what is your take on that as far as the outrage that Holly Hunt's character had to Go that? Go ahead, Evan. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I want, I want, yeah, I want Megan. Oh, well, the scene, let's see. Remind me of the names because I'm... I'm it was Tom Grunick uh, was, yes. was, 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 was William Hurt's character. Um, yes. Uh, so Tom was doing... Holly Hunter was... Oh, God. Oh. Just for the record, Megan and Evan are sharing one We're... microphone, so there's That's a little bit the... of... That's why there's this. I'll, I'll I'll be doing like some EQing on here. I need here, to but give it to you because you point. remember the character. No, no, no. I don't remember that. D describe the scene. Anyway, the, report, the reporter was doing a story on something that was very emotionally draining. I think it was some kind of sexual assault date or rape. day rape. Okay, it was date rape. And the woman who was being interviewed was very emotional. She was courageous. Sharing her personal story was very affected. And then they stopped the camera and there was some consultation between the reporter and the director. Oh, thank you. Here are all the names. And uh, they decided. Jane. Oh, yes. Jane. Yes. So William Hurt's character decided, I want some shots of me crying. 
I want some shots of me being affected by the story. So even though he didn't cry in the moment. Even though he didn't cry in the moment, right? Oh, so geez. when this report was finally broadcast and people at home and people in the newsroom were watching it, they were all astounded. He's so emotionally affected. He's so into his story. He's such a true reporter. And then Holly Hunter's character, Jane, found out later, like maybe months, weeks later, whatever it was, that it was all performed. Yeah, it was Aaron Altman, uh, Albert Brooks' character, as he was walking away, going going off to, after he had been let go. How many cameras was, do you think they had? How many yeah. cameras did they have for that shoot? That's all he said, and he walked away. Right. And Holly Hunter, the wheels are spinning. She's like, they had one camera. How yeah. would they have gotten the shot of him crying? Right. And they went back and they, and they played back the raw. They went back and they did the raw, and they saw that he had basically asked for what we call a reversal shot mm -hmm. of the reporter's yeah. reaction and then got himself to cry to edit that in. Um, I think we, I would be shocked if we disagreed on the ethics of this one. No, we definitely agree. <laughs> That's awful. It's a disaster. Oh, that, that was such a, a, I don't like to use this. Amy knows from improv class. I don't like using the phrase teachable moment. But no, I you mean, don't. Yes, I, and. <laughs> yes, and. <laughs> but really from an ethics standpoint, that's journalism 101. This is not about us. It's not about us. It's not about the reporters. It's not about the team producing. We're sharing a story with an audience, and it should be rooted in fact. And I, th I think what, and what you're sharing with audiences, and we, we were talking about quality control, so I kind of want to circle back to that a mm -hmm. little bit. You know, we talk about how the quality control has maybe gone away in the past 10, 15 years. But you also said some of that's coming back, you know, so talk about it, if you can, in a way, how do you guys do it at WXXI? I know Megan spends a lot of time booking guests and getting people on. So yeah. talk about some of that research, maybe from the public radio side. And also, like you said, you're seeing good stuff in local TV here in Rochester. So also maybe from that sure. side, the commercial side. I'll be brief here because I want to turn it over to the producers. Probably got a lot more interesting things to say about this. That's why I, I asked the question. For, from my perspective, the quality control that happens in the moment when I'm hosting is Megan is, is often fact-checking, looking things up, bolstering with information, and then she's sending it to me through a screen. So we can either, hey, this person said something are we sure that that's right? Because when you're doing 51 minutes live, someone may say something and you go, really? It's hard in the moment to fact check it. Uh, and ideally, you would do 51 minutes and you'd never have anybody discussing things that are inaccurate. And it's impossible. Megan is really good at making sure we're like, hey, just so you know, here's a little more context. Here's the background on that. This part is correct. This part's not exactly correct. This part's totally wrong. This person is lying, and you should probably punch them in the mouth. I never say that. <laughs> I say the face, not the In the mouth. face. <laughs> in the thank face. You for, thank you for the clarity. In the face. Clarification. So, uh, so Megan's very good about that in the moment, which we take very seriously. Now, once in a great while, something will be egregious enough that we want to correct it later. Um, but it takes a pretty high bar to clear we, to go back and do that because we think the audience understands. But I will also... In the moment, if I'm not sure of something, I will tell the audience, you know, to be clear, I'm not sure the data on this. I'm not sure the background. So people are, are understanding that the host is being transparent about what we do know and what we don't know. So that's important. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, the idea of the omniscient journalist who knows everything and is, can never be wrong. I think you need to be transparent with what you know and where you got it. Because what we, I think what we've learned in the last 10 to 15 years is show your work. You know, let people know, how do you know this? What's the sourcing on this? Can we trust this? And does this need, you know, further confirmation, uh, further sourcing? Is that fair? 
I think that's fair, but give yourself some credit too. You're doing a lot in the moment checking things on your phone. If I can't get to it or if you, you've caught something that I couldn't flag. So you're doing that as well. It's not just me. And we're a small team. The connection should we do 500 hours a year. There's three of us on the show, Evan hosting, me producing, our engineer, Rob Braden, who's awesome. Yep. So yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of pressure and we don't catch everything all the time. And our listeners are really good They're at very good. writing in, tweeting in, calling in, saying, hey, I heard this. That's not true. Here's some information. We have people who are really on the ball. So a lot of the credit goes to them. But to answer the question about the booking process and the research, we handle, we do a lot of that together. It's a true partnership. And we try to make panels as balanced as possible. It's very difficult sometimes. And I think you can, you can weigh in here as well. It is hard to find certain groups of yeah. people who are willing to share their viewpoints on the show, specifically conservative listeners who, who will come in. We have a handful of people that are very reliable, but it's hard to find new voices in that regard. I'd like to find more uh, a broader group of conservatives who'd come on. Sometimes they're suspicious. Sometimes they think that, um, well, let's just be blunt here. Bob Lonsberry, who's a very effective broadcaster, calls us welfare radio or, or, you know, liberal radio. And so, you know, some conservatives automatically think NPR or public radio is lefty, which is, uh, I think, silly and unfortunate. Um, but I also am not there are certain things where we do draw a line and we will make a value judgment and say, you know, I mean, like I remember, um, you know, right after I was started hosting the show and, and the question of equal marriage came up and it's like, I'm not this, I'm not letting this become a left, right thing. I'm sick of that. You know, this is just, that's, that's a human right. And I, and I, I make a, just a value statement. I don't think that's political. Now, if people think that's political, they are welcome to think that, but the show does draw a line. I don't draw a line and say all Democrats are right on everything and all Republicans are wrong. Absolutely not. Um, and, but I, but I think conservatives sometimes will create a monster in their head as to what they think they are. It's amazing how many times people come on the show and be like, man, that was not what I expected. That was really fair and reasonable. I'm going, yeah, boy, took you a long time to get here. Yeah. Well, that, that kind of plays right into the, to the next question that I have. And you had talked about fact-checking. You talked about the veracity and making sure uh, that things that are said are true. Is that important? Seriously, is that important? They, they've, they're calling this the post-truth era mm -hmm. because of people in power who are proven to be wrong uh, repeatedly and yet continue to double down on the thing that was proven to be a lie. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. It's okay. Well, uh, did, I, did, I, did, I, did, I, did I touch a, did I touch a hot button here? I think he's just being polite. I know he, he has a lot to say, so no, no. you can jump in. No, really. Well, yes, it's important. And it's the job. I think the job of journalists right now is probably the most difficult it's ever been living in this country post-2016. And whether it's fact-checking on a talk show or, you know, tweeting something to to push back on something else that's been tweeted. It is our job to do that. And it's difficult. And it's, it's our job to make sure that the facts are out there. And I, I want you to weigh in because you well, deal with this more than I do. I, I'm, I'm more concerned with this, which is kind of like, I think at the core of Penny's question. Um, yeah, for sure. It matters. What is hard to understand is how we've gotten to a point where it doesn't matter to so many people. In other words, you are impenetrable to new information that might contradict your biases. That's really tough. And 
Um, I, I, I don't want to say Dunning Kruger because yeah, I mean, uh, there is I something love called Kruger. yeah, there's something called the Dunning Kruger effect, which is um, it's the idea that the less educated you are in a subject, the more you are sort of willing to assert. Uh, a bold opinion, even if you're wrong, or or the or the less likely you are to to feel unsure of of your position on an issue, uh, and really what it translates to is the less you know, the yeah. the more you think you know. The, the people with le the least amount of expertise are oftentimes the people who think they know the most about a subject. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and it's very frustrating because people are not penetrable. No, that that's a way too broad generalization, but there's a lot of people who just cannot be dented by facts. And we have reached a, I, I'm going to say it's a dangerous time when that is the case. I don't know where we're going with that. No. And I, I have, I'm going to kind of bring it to a conversation I had today with my daughter, 17 years old. And one of the things she was talking about is like, you know, back, let's just say baby boomer generation growing up, you had Walter Cronkite, you had the three major news networks, you know, what those, what those guys said at night was mm. gospel truth. You know, my daughter said today basically is like that was just government propaganda, news propaganda, because nobody had a different opinion. Now we have different opinions across the board, but you see that I call it silo based thinking on the radical left, on the far right. Everybody has there's and I, even I, I mean, I surround myself listening to your show, to NPR, to podcasts that I agree with, that I like, and I spend very little time with stuff on the right. So I'm guilty of it in my own perspective. So how do we combat that? I'm going to jump in first just because I think it's the question for you, Amy, is not would not be the same as it for me. And here's why. Sure. I'm like the least vulnerable person in society. You know, like straight cis white man. Yeah, yeah it's just not vulnerable. Yeah, you're playing life with all the cheat codes. I, I mean, <laughs> in, in many ways, right? Yeah, it, it's true. So, um, so I I could sit here and be like, you, everyone should listen to things, uh, podcasts, and shows, and opinions that they disagree with. Um, but I'm not vulnerable in any way. So. For me to lecture you, well, you shouldn't just listen to stuff that is comfortable to you. Like, who am I to say? I haven't had your experience. Um, and I, I, so at the same time, what I will say is I would, I think it is generally healthy for all of us to the extent that we can to continue to try to avoid just being in a bubble or to try to understand where people are coming from. Because... I do think most people arrive at where they are in pretty good faith. It doesn't mean that it's justifiable, correct, or, uh, or, or would it pick whatever you want. But I don't think we're going to dent these walls we have if we don't at least try to get our heads around it. And, you know, I was with a group of people, uh, pretty progressive-minded people this weekend, and they were talking about this idea of self-sufficiency and this idea in rural America, which is generally pretty red uh, politically, that they everyone thinks they're self-sufficient. Um, Off the grid. Yeah, but 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 the U.S. Postal Service delivers and mm -hmm. electricity comes to their homes and they would love free inter government Internet if they could get it. And um, there's all kind of supports that that they don't recognize and they sort of pretend that they're doing everything on their own. Mm -hmm. and, and they were sort of lampooning. It. I said, but like, let's flip this around, though. Like, let, but let's generalize, but let's flip it around. If you're in more red rural America, 
they they are generally speaking way better at using their hands than I am to fix a house, to to repair things. There's a lot of pride in that. There is a feeling of of self sufficiency, maybe more than I would have, and I think that that should not be lampooned. I think we should try to understand where does that come from uh, while also trying to help them see, but there are certain things you're still standing on. You aren't just standing on your own two feet. You're standing on roads that the government built and you're standing, you know, so I think we can have these conversations in ways that don't lampoon people. And I think it's good to try to expose yourself to different ideas, but it's easy for me to say that. And I will, I will keep that in mind Mm -hmm. if, if that's fair. Well, and I think one thing real quick, and we'll go over to back to Penny. Note, talking about a podcast I just heard, no two people stand in the same space. We all have those different experiences. Yeah. So, you know, it's easy for me to say, okay, I listen to this, this, and this. and But, you know, I have one great advantage is I'm still Caucasian, even though I've given up my man card last year, you know, with starting, you know, my hormone replacement therapy. So... It's just, there's just no one way to do this. And we keep coming back to that theme within this, within most of our episodes. Yeah, there is always more than one way to do things. Um, but there seems to be only one way to do news. Well, Go ahead. I, I think we have a big problem with media literacy in this country, too. I mean, there's such a, a lack of understanding about what's fact versus what's opinion sometimes. And I, I don't want to go ahead and blame schools universally, but... I took one media literacy class in high school, one, and we, we watched movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. We never learned how to distinguish fact from opinion or how to understand newscasts or, or read a newspaper and understand what's important and, about that. And I think that gets taken advantage of by, uh, I hate to single them out, well, actually I like to single them out, Fox News, where they call themselves a news channel, but if you look at what they designate as news and what they designate as entertainment, like something like more than 80%, of what they put on, they consider to be ed- entertainment, yet they call themselves a news channel. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the question that I want to ask you guys, and I know that this is not something that you two deal with on a day-to-day basis because neither of you are in the, you know, churn it out, uh, actually, you know, news gathering part of this, and uh, it, it, especially on the national level, but are the rules that news plays by enough? Are they are they solid enough? Should they, do they need to be changed? It just feels to me in a lot of ways that news is being played, especially when you're targeted, come out and targeted. And words like liar and lie and and racist, which uh, there was a an NPR program that called when uh, when uh, when Donald Trump tweeted against the squad, the four yeah. Republic, Democratic women yeah. of color. NPR said it was racist. Yes. Now, uh, and, and the New York Times has been calling Trump a liar since 2017. Uh, I want to read you a quote uh, about, about this and about the use of the word, like, use of the word racist. Uh, and this is from the NPR's vice president of newsroom diversity and training, Keith Woods. And he said, and who disagreed with his own yeah. stations. Yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with it, yeah. And his, his words are, his words mirror those of avowed racists and xenophobes that date back to the birth of this country. Was that a moral judgment in my last sentence? I would argue no. I'd call it context, and it doesn't require my opinion, just a basic understanding of history. Now, just saying that's a basic understanding of history, I think is something that may not, that may not be what a lot of people have. And, and then, but he goes on and says, that's an alternative to labels. Report, quote people, cite sources, add context, leave the moral labeling to the people affected so the opinion writers, the editorial writers, the preachers and philosophers, and to the public we serve. 
That's how he ended his his article. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Do you who which side of this radio uh, disagreement? Why do you... are you deferring to me? Go <laughs> ahead. Mister, you're on the air. Go. Oh, she's been, the interactions are fantastic. That nobody over can there. see this. I'm not trying I... to grab the mic. I'm trying to put it in front of Megan. And Megan's looking at me. No, you. Um, I think he's wrong, and uh, but I, I'll explain why. And I also think that there is a good sp- – uh, this is not like a wishy-washy NPR sort of company answer. I think there is a good intention with uh, – what was his name? Woods? Who was the person? Uh, his Keith Woods. Keith Woods. Yeah. I think Keith had good intention with the answer there. On, the, on saying that Trump is a liar – here, I would agree with him on using the term, uh, you know, r- describing Trump's language about the squad as racist. I would disagree with him and I'll explain why. How many times a day does the average person lie? I just looked this up. I mean, there's a lot of research here. Study published in um, a recent journal out of UMass found that 60 percent of people lied at least once during a 10 minute conversation and told an average of two to three lies in 10 minutes of conversation. So I am a liar. Prop. No, you're not. You're not telling the truth about that. <laughs> uh, so Donald Trump is a liar. Barack Obama is a liar. It doesn't do us any good to say that what we what we really mean when we say that is a serial liar, right? Mm-hmm. What we mean is Donald Trump is a serial liar. Now we do know because these things have been tracked that Donald Trump lies more than any elected leader in significant power than we've ever really tried to quantify. Mm-hmm. So if you want to say he is a serial or chronic liar, that's fine. I don't know what good it does because it, it frames this idea that, well, Donald Trump lies and, you know, didn't lie. I mean, he was, you know, maybe we didn't like him, but Mitt Romney didn't lie and Barack Obama didn't lie. And, you know, Marco Rubio didn't lie and Hillary Clinton didn't lie, but Donald Trump lies. No, everybody lies. I lie. I mean, I don't, I don't like lying. I try not to lie, but apparently I lie. I think I lie more than I'd like. So the idea that saying Donald Trump is a liar isn't all that powerful to me. But when he does lie, NPR has been a little wishy-washy at times saying, is this a lie or is this an untruth? You know, do we euphemize it? I think there are times where it's a lie and it's obvious and you can say so. And there are times where it's a little more gray. And that's where Keith Woods is simply saying, let people make up their own minds. On the subject of using the term racist... Anand Giridardis, Jay Rosen, they've had a lot to say on this. They think they, they are tired of news organizations like NPR saying the president used racially tinged language or racially coded language instead of just saying racist language because he uses racist language. He does. The president does do that. And um, I am more on board with NPR's decision regarding the term racist than it would be with liar for the reasons I explained. Oh, I've thought a lot about this and it's, I don't know. I, I wonder if leadership in newsrooms needs to change regarding this issue. I'm very uncomfortable with it. I had a, a guest on the show when you were off, Evan, a young black man who's part of the Republican party who is running for city council. And one of our listeners wanted to know why, how can you be part of the pub- Republican party when you're a young man of color, considering what this party is doing, according to this listener. And see, I just qualified my statement there so I wouldn't editorialize. So, like, this is how we think sometimes. Mm-hmm. Are we too restricted by that no, thought process? I, you don't think so? No, I, I think what you're doing there is being careful to relay the fact that it was a listener saying this. So what you're not trying to do 
is make an all-knowing judgment that there's no reasonable way any young African-American could be sure. a Republican. So part two of this, which it's the same theory, but is this okay, is he answered the question, and then I said, some people would consider this president racist. I, I can't say. I don't feel like I can no, say. No, I heard that. That was an excellent... But, but the thought process yeah. in my head is I cannot say this, whether I think it or not. And I won't share whether I think it or not. But like we're constantly thinking, how do I not editorialize? At least that's me. Maybe that's something I struggle with. No, I'm, I'm with you there. And, and, the, and the subject of, of this president, at the minimum, we can say he has routinely used racist language and said racist things and uh, has used rhetoric in ways that are obviously intended to be racially divisive. That's a minimum. To me, he's almost like a cartoon version of a racist. I mean, that's, I, I don't think it's all that controversial anymore. Um, so I guess my, maybe my, let's just have a little conversation. Should I have said something more direct in that moment? Uh, I think that in a live show, knowing that someone's going to call and complain, if you want to make that, because it is still a strong statement, be prepared with plenty of examples to back it up. Otherwise, you're going to have to qualify it. And we could find plenty of examples. But I get why Keith Woods is wishy-washy. I just think this president's different. I think it's this, not. I think, we're in a, I think we are no longer in the same kind of zone. Mm -hmm. And I think at some point you have to recognize that. So does yep. news have to change to counter this sort of direct attack of the not only the truth, but of the organ of news gathering in general, does does there need to be some sort of transformation of news to counter what's going to be the bar going forward? You know, it's going to be the bar because nothing ever, no, no, you know, very few things ever go back. Depending, you know, despite what this president says about making America great again, we can't go back. We never go back. We go forward, and it is change. You know, the politics is changing in a dangerous way. Does does news need to change to? to keep up with it, to make itself relevant, to make itself viable, to make itself useful. Is that something that needs to be done? And if so, how? That's a <laughs> now, really- Now Evan is passing the mic to me. <laughs> exactly. I, not passing I, it, just put it in your face. Shoving it in my face. I struggle with this a lot. And I think in, very, in a very brief way, I will say yes. I, I think it does. Because like you said, Penny, we, there's no going back. We don't know what's happening in 2020. But the rules have changed, and I, I do think we need to change with it. And think about news, how news has changed over the past few decades in certain respects. And in I, I'm sure. In most respects. In most respects, that's, right. That's how we started this half hour. It, absolutely. It's yeah. transformed in so many ways. And we've hit a point where uh, it's just, it's unlike anything that we've seen before. I think we've really come full circle, and I'll let Evan chime in, and then because I can tell he has that right, right there at the tip of his tongue. <laughs> I just think, you know, when Penny asks the question, does the news need to change to recognize the unusual circumstances or, or, or the change circumstances? Place? The answer that I would give is, is really not all that satisfying. And the answer is, I don't know. And, and that's because I think the answer is probably yes, because if we're going to be honest about, and, and report honestly about what's happening, we have to be direct in a way that, that feels to people like Keith Woods to be a bridge too far that goes beyond what um, ostensibly objective, though I'm not a big fan of that term, self-aware journalists can do? Probably yes. However, 
there there is some element of the population that wants journalism to become sort of another arm of advocacy or oh, activism. Yeah. But there's a difference uh, well, between... Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just close that by saying people want journalists to recognize how far beyond the current situation is and almost become activists themselves without recognizing the way epistemology works, the way people form beliefs. And I'm not saying that I shouldn't report the news if it's not going to change anybody's mind. I mean, we should be reporting the news if it's the news. Mm -hmm. But we should recognize in some sense that just becoming an arm of advocacy or activism isn't going to make red America be like, well, this guy's sort of an asshole. Am I allowed to say that here? Yes, yeah. you are. Oh, good. Okay. I uh, think this is the first profane word we've had on the show, but. No, no. no? We had Corey on. Corey, okay. That's yeah, right. Corey, Sorry. Corey. Go. Go we digress. Anyway, um, where was I? Oh, the asshole thing. So yeah. anyway. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, but, but that's not a reason to not report it either. It's just that simply standing up and beating a drum saying, this guy's a racist, this guy's a liar, isn't going to make 65 million Americans who voted for him or 60 million Americans who voted for him be like, wow, what, what was I doing? I mean, like, <laughs> that's just not going to happen. And we have to grapple more broadly with why that is, why we're at a point where this, per and part of that has to do with race, which is deep-seated and I think very real. Part of that, I think, has to do with Economic hopelessness, and this is not like me being like, oh, I see, he's like, he's on the narrative of it's economic inequality. And those people aren't racist, you just don't understand them. Um, I think it could actually be both. And I think if you go to the, the Youngstown, Ohio's and blah, 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 I mean, where places where I've spent a lot of time, there is a feeling that they wanted to break the system so badly, because look at who Donald Trump is. Donald Trump is not one of them. Donald Trump is not someone who can fix things with his bare hands. He couldn't fix a Lego. Donald Trump has, has not built anything from the ground up in his life. He's had everything handed to him. He is the and gilded age fraud in terms of his business empire. And, you know, he doesn't even have any real friendships. I mean, it, it, I, there's nothing about him that speaks to up by your bootstraps, economic dirt under your fingernails, rural America, nothing except he will say things about people of color, people who are quote unquote others that they may think that he feels comfortable saying. And so, so there's one thing, but he's also the candidate who all of the, the news media, most of the news media and all the Democrats and some Republican establishment, Republicans said, you can't do that. You can't elect this guy. And they're going, well, everything else has screwed us. Our hometown is collapsing here. We had nothing but opioids left. So let's elect the guy who everybody can't stand and give everybody a big middle finger, no matter how juvenile it is. And I think that element is real. I don't necessarily say that it's justified, but when your economic inequality sucks this bad, yeah. there's going to be some break the system. Well, guess element. what? They're not the only place that has an economic inequality and the people that they're targeting as blaming for the economic inequality. Agree. Are you, it's are, much more complex than just economic than inequality. And exactly. it says a lot about our deep-seated racial issues, yeah. our, our bigotry that the country was frankly built on. I'm just saying, 
I think that there's probably some reckoning that even the Democratic Party needs to do with its own record on economic inequality. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. This is not, but it's the, but only one party is making their bones on racism, and there's only one only one party that is has decided that it, you know that they are. Uh, despite all of the, uh, despite everything, are the truly oppressed ones and think that the people who are oppressing them are the people that are going to get them out of this mess. We have gone really long on this. I, I know, but it's been a great, and this I think is... It really has. Yeah, and I think one of the things real quick about that, you're talking about, you know, giving everybody the, the middle finger and electing Trump is if you're in the Rust Belt and you used to have a $75,000 a year factory job and you had a boat and you had a cottage or a camper and now you don't somebody coming back saying we're going to renegotiate that fair free trade we're going to try to roll that back and bring that's a very attractive promise it it is especially when democrats claim to be the the party of the worker yeah and what do those workers have right now what do ohio workers have in steubenville ohio in youngstown in Dayton and the rural areas in the western part of the state. What do they have in a state that has voted for plenty of Democrats over the years? They feel like the Democrats are frauds. Yeah. Well, free trade with NAFTA started with Clinton. That's what I'm saying. So I'm not saying this is not me just, oh, but this economic inequality is way deep. It's it's and systematic, it's a serious problem. And when that happens, yes, you're going to have an opioid crisis. You're going to have people who are very quickly ready to blame the other. And look what's happened in Spain. Look what's happened in many other places. What happens? What do demagogues do? They talk to the people most affected by that. And they say, oh, you know what the problem is? It's the people of color. Yeah, it's that. It's it's the gays. It's this. They they find something. To turn. And George Carlin was right about this, to turn the proletariat against each other so they're not looking upwards. Mm-hmm. And it's a very effective tool. Yeah. And it's happening. Using another movie, because everything about my life is apparently pop culture, uh, An American President, the, the very end there when the, when the, when the, pres- the, the, uh, the you know, was Michael Douglas's character gets up there and says the Republicans have no, no desire to, to fix it. They're just all they're interested in is telling you who is to blame for it. And that goes on both sides. Uh, there, there, there are a lot of I, I will I will easily agree that there are just as many Democrats who have no solutions, but are just pointing to the Republicans and saying not that as there are Republicans who are pointing to the Democrats and saying not that. But, you know, I. I actually think, and I don't know how you feel about this, because we talked to a lot of political leaders. We talked to a lot of candidates. I think the vast majority of Republicans and the vast majority of Democrats and Greens and Libertarians and Independents, I think they think their ideas are going to work. And I think that they feel like if they could just implement them, um, wouldn't we see that things are better? I don't think most people are like, can you believe this? <laughs> like, no, I, I don't think that they feel like they have this mad scientist laugh. I think most people really think... Uh, in good faith that their ideas are correct. Well, I'm not even, the problem is when I don't see ideas, when I only see not that. Yeah, when I, when no, I don't no, see no, it, enti- I, and I see an entire par- political party, I, I hear basically you. say nothing but uh, just not what the, just not what we have. But we have a mayor in the city who just said that the, that the Rochester School Board okay. wants, yeah. wants students to, to not succeed, basically to stay in poverty so they can keep their jobs and justify their positions, which is a really ghastly thing to say. And I will only say this as a journalist. If the mayor is right, then the school board is actually evil. 
I mean, that is evil to want kids in poverty to stay in poverty just so you can keep a job. That's evil. Yeah. If the mayor is wrong, then what she's doing is engaging in the same kind of thing that we see political leaders at all levels do, which is saying, oh, the other side doesn't care about you and they, they hate your children and they want to eat them. And, you know, and it's like, that's, I don't know that that's. But, but to that point, when that statement came out in an email to all of the news media, did anyone push back on that? No. Did anyone tackle that? And so back to your question, Penny, should the rules change? No one's pushing back on that. Why? Because we're afraid? Because just, uh, and that's why I do think the answer is yes. And it made me think of election coverage too. I think the way that the media covers elections needs to change. And we've talked about this on the show extensively. Yeah. Yeah. But we're allowing these types of, you know, these types of entertainment coverage to happen. Yeah, starting with the debates. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the debates look like a Jeopardy set for crying out loud. And there's there's no real debate. It's just you know it's just a dog and pony show. There, the how do you how do you have a, de- a debate with forty people over two days, with yeah. half of which can't even talk to each other? It's a crapshoot. It's just there for entertainment. I mean, like we, we've talked another movie. Remember the movie Network? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was, you know, Faye Dunaway's character uh, basically wants to take news and, and take it into the entertainment division. And that's what happened. The Mao Zedong Hour. We, we have the, that, that movie. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, fan of Padachewski who, who wrote that, that, that screenplay. Uh, he predicted so much about reality television and about what sells and what's going to happen. We're, we don't yet have the on-air assassination of, of, a, uh, of, of a newsman. But other than that... Everything that was going on in that in that show is was pretty prescient, and so even frightening, yeah, frightening. But 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 that was 1977. That was 50 years ago that that happened. So can I inject before before you're done here? Can I inject a little optimism? Yeah, I think yes, please, please do, because we've been talking about the things that are troubling or concerning about all the transformations that have happened in in what's happening in this country and the way the news covers it and uh, the way newsrooms operate. I think we've come out of the infancy of some of this stuff, whether it's consultants, whether it's this idea that people don't have attention spans, what to do about Twitter, what to do about uh, social media and the immediacy of the ability to report. And we're now moving past the infancy that says, oh, just do everything or just throw everything at the wall, see what sticks. And I think what we're seeing is certain ways of doing things are are not okay and, and have to change. Now, to Penny's point, I haven't seen much evidence in the early presidential coverage, especially the way the debates have been structured and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. But then I sort of have. I mean, the New York Times put it, put all of the Democrats who would sit down in front of a camera and say, talk as much as you want about climate change, and we'll just put them all back to back to back, every candidate. And what do you they think about one of the most important issues of our time? You can see it at length. And some did 30 seconds and d- some did, you know, 10 minutes mm-hmm. of policy ideas and nuance. And it was like, wow, that's exactly what should be happening. So I think we're coming out of the infancy and I think a new transformation is, is going to be upon us. Or if not, you know, we'll start over again on Mars and the human experiment <laughs> will be over. <laughs> All right. All right. Any, any last thoughts, Megan? I, we were we we're going to do two segments. One was going to be you guys. One was going to be you. We're almost at an hour right now for this segment, and <laughs> uh, and I'm really glad you did it because I did not want this to be you know all transformation is bad. Transformation you know transformation is neither good nor bad. It just is. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and so I I, I really appreciate you guys. But it can be very good. It can be very good. It can be very bad as and well. And it can be very painful. Yeah, and it's always usually painful. It's never comfortable. You know, transformation is never comfortable. It's always scary. Mm-hmm. 
and you never know what you're, what you're going to get when it turns out. Yeah, but we know a few things about that. Yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> so, uh, Evan Dawson and Megan Mack, I really want to thank you for, for spending uh, far more time than I thought we were going to be doing this, and I'm just so grateful that we did it. And Megan, would you be willing to come back without ditch this dude and just come back and have, just have huh. some girl talk and oh, talk sure. about improv? Let's have girl. Talk about improv I would and love comedy. to do that. Oh, yes. wonderful. Thank you very much. Amy. Well, I think we're just going to wrap this up. Um, personally, I want to thank Evan and Megan. Um, you probably don't realize this as much as, but, you know, you two have been instrumental in your own ways with my transition, you know, having us on the, on the show twice and especially, you know, your words of encouragement and background. And it's just, it's just been fantastic, especially with Megan, like I said, um, when we were on air yeah. a couple weeks ago, um, just giving me that space to explore my gender inside of improv is, has been invaluable to me so thank you so much for coming on and being part yeah, of our we'll transformation thursday thank you we'll be back with a wrap up of just amy and i and we'll get ditch these two losers in a minute this is transformation <laughs> thursday ah so welcome back to transformation thursday i'm penny sterling and my pronouns are still she her and I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. I, Penny, can you believe we we know two wonderful people like Penny or like Penny? Yeah, like, I know me. <laughs> I mean, I'm just still I'm so flabbergasted by the last hour that yeah. I can't even get names straight. But Megan and Evan were just fantastic, and we can't thank them enough for coming in. Yeah, I'm really grateful for Megan for making us best friends. Aww, and that's sweet. So yeah, my takeaway from the hour, which surprised me because it wasn't supposed to be an hour, but it ended up being that full hour. The people who are gathering the news are doing great work, or at least trying to do the do great work. But they're they're fighting a system that needs to change even more than it's already changed. Yeah, and I think what we're starting to see with that change, though, is that we're already starting to see some pushback, especially, I think, in the public radio sector. And even with, you know, I thought Evan made a great point of even saying it's even happening in commercial television, especially here in our market here in Rochester. So we're getting back to some better vetting, some more long form storytelling and really pushing backs against that, the consultants that come in and say, do this, do this, do this, put 30 stories into a 30 minute. Oh, my gosh, oh, that's insane. I mean, I've worked in news and I. I, and and now, but you know, twenty years before Evan did, and we had consultants. But that sort of uh, that you know that that sort of goldfish journalism, even back then, wasn't around. So it's amazing that's how far that went. And as far as going places, we are going places too here. And the reason why we are is because of the support we're getting from our friends on our Patreon page. And if you'd like to be one of those friends, you can support our efforts by going to www.transformationthursday, our Patreon page. Well, I think they need a .com in there. Well, I suppose they do. And the www. No, yeah. wait a minute. The no. www is optional, but the dot com, dot com is necessary? Yeah, so it's www.transformationthursday.com will bring you to our Patreon page, Penny. There's a lot of alliteration going on yeah, in there. Pretty peppy pros, pal. Yay. Well, and we do have a new patron from last week who I would like to thank. Should, should we thank her? Okay. Thank you, Emma B. Thank you, Emma B. We love you. And thank you, everybody who's listening to us. This is Transformation Thursdays, recorded at the Fabulous Fetter, fa Fabulous Fetter Building. And <laughs> try saying that after an hour like this. Recorded at the Fabulous Fetter Building in Rochester, New York. Good night, Amy. Good night, Penny.